Yeah, and you know, you get into your comfort zone and you think you know things, but you don't. So, Andrew, I don't know about you, but when I was coming up in the piping game as a kid, there were a few tunes that like I remember showing up to my high school band room getting out of the pipes and hearing a more advanced player who had been there who was, you know, a senior, right? over in the corner playing this wild tune. And I was like, what is that tune? You know, me excited about Minstrel Boy, right? Because I was tired of playing Scott and the Brave and now I was able to play Minstrel Boy. Yes. This kid's Sean is over there in the corner playing the Blue Cloud. I'm like, What wow. is that? Yeah. I, and I remember the first time, and I think it was Mike Swan actually, that I heard somebody playing the Clumsy Lover and it hit that high A section. That was the first time I'd ever heard that like convention on bagpipes, you know, where you use high A's to disappear and come mm -hmm. back in rhythmically. Um, and of course, the holy grail for years for my friends and I was the Hellbound Train. Oh, the Hellbound Train. Okay. I thought you were going to go with Clumsy oh, Lover. Pump Pumpkin's Fancy, of course. Right. Like that's, that's a big one too, of course. Yeah. Oh yeah. Pumpkin's but, Fancy. I think Itchy Fingers was. Maybe, ooh, maybe Itchy I'm, Fingers. Heck yeah. Yeah. That's another yeah. one. Itchy Fingers was another So good is one. this... I, one thing I've never been sure about, though, Andrew, is like, are those tunes indicative of a specific time period such that you could date when I was learning to play bagpipes by what the cool tunes were? Yes. Yeah, or, I think. Wait, what was the question? Mm -hmm. if, 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 are those, is that if me listing those tunes, what, what were the cool tunes? Is that are those tunes specific to like this tight little time period such that if I'm talking about those tunes as being cool to me as I was learning that you could say, OK, you were learning between this year and this year because those were hot across the entire piping community. Not to say they're not hot now, still some of my favorite tunes, right? But is that the situation or had these been like cooler for were they cool tunes before I came into it and remain cool? So you couldn't really date when I was learning to play when I talk about those tunes. Like, will a kid learning to play bagpipes today have the same experience with those same tunes as they come into piping? Right. It's a good question. Definitely a very interesting question. I think that those tunes, because, and the question is whether or not we'll continue to see that kind of thing. Yeah. Is that the question? That is what I've been wondering about. I love Lincoln Hilton so much. I love hearing him play and watching him play. Oh, like, I feel watching a butt coming. And stuff. Is there a butt? You coming? knew it was coming, huh? <laughs> you can always tell but, when you're about to hear a big butt. But honestly, <laughs> and I don't think I'll live long enough to ever be able to play a lot of his tunes, mm. maybe all of them. Where the clumsy lover is something I could get jazzed about, and I could learn to play it. And I'm I'm not disparaging Lincoln Hilton here. I'm just saying what I'm what I'm curious about is. Has the age of the viral but playable tune become a thing of the past? And are the viral tunes in our community increasingly not playable for an average person like me? Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. I think that those tunes, I think your Itchy Fingers and your Clumsy Lover, and what else did we have? We had Blue Cloud. Oh, Steam Train to Malag. You can't forget about steam that. Steam Train for sure. Both the That's trains. The Steam Train one. and the Hellbound. Yeah. Absolutely. And then Hellbound Train is like on the edge playability, isn't it? For, mm -hmm. the, for the enthusiastic intermediate. It's on the when edge, my but friends still I, play it, playable. When my friends and I played it, we cut up the three parts so that I got all the easiest parts, right? 
Right. And that's part of what made it playable. My friends who were better than me, they took all the faster parts and I took all the slower parts. Interesting. Yeah. So then Halbon Train was really cool. And then uh, what else did we have? We had the Blue Cloud. The Blue Cloud for sure. We had yeah. the Mason's Apron, especially Mason's the, apron, with yeah. the little hand bit, right? That was mm -hmm. a thing for a while. Yeah, Got to brush it. Yep. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I feel like Afternoon at the Green Monster was one of them as well. You know that's, that what, that's one I never learned. Absolutely. Very cool. The, yeah, for but sure. But the third but part goes, the third part is like the Coldplay part. You know that part? Never heard it uh, called that, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So it's totally what it is. And I know the composer was, apologies, your name is slipping my mind. I can't remember, but I digress. I just remember being amazed how, how pervasive that tune was. Like everybody in the world played that tune. Everybody. Mm -hmm. And it was a, yeah, so that was a continuation. And then let me, I have a couple of questions to follow up with you with. I kind of feel like the, the air, air and B minor that SFU played oh, in 2004 yeah. and just the reprise thing in general, I feel like that is still something that kind of pervades. Do you think that's, do you think that's related to this? Uh, yeah, I think that makes sense. The reprise thing in particular, it seems like in that it's cool and it's, mm, I don't want to make it sound like I'm saying it's cheap by saying it's trendy, but it definitely is. It's trendy, right? Sure. It's a thing that keeps popping up and it, it almost so, feels like anybody who's anybody is going to do that in their competitions that they're going to have a little reprise. Like, where's the reprise? You know, you're looking for it. Exactly. <laughs> or in some cases it's like, oh man, I know what's about to happen. And, yeah, you uh, can feel it. Yeah, commence eye roll, right? Um, and then, uh, and then, uh, I, I'm of the personal belief that it's like the crane kick. You know, when do well, no can defense, right? But it's not always done well, so yeah. you, you got to be a little bit careful. But the general vibe of the reprise was we're going to do something very simple. So that's Jim's part, right? And then the fancy mm -hmm. pants yep. guys, they can play like a fast reel underneath, and then you kind of blend them at the end of the medley, and it's like. Yeah. But I feel like the reprise is one of those. And so I think these are all, you know, these are all really cool ideas. That's the way I would look at all these. So I think you're seeing these tunes, right, that everybody's playing. But I don't think mm -hmm. it's so much the tunes. I think it's the ideas. And you yourself mm -hmm. already kind of pointed out that the idea at the end of Clumsy Lover is incredible. And yeah. I'm sure it, I'm sure that it, I'm sure it existed in other tunes before and that effect had been heard before, but like Clumsy Lover really harnessed that effect, you know, to use the high A's to allow those bottom hand notes to really stick out. It, it really used that idea. And for whatever reason, that idea caught fire. And so yeah. everybody was playing that tune, but you'll notice in the wake of Clumsy Lover, you also had a huge number of amazing tunes that utilize that effect. Uh, the Whit the Whitby Runaround comes to mind as one of those tunes that really use that to amazing effect. You can Google it. It would have been on the 78th Fraser's Live in Ireland album as well. Now I'm pretty sure Clumsy Lover came first. I don't, I'm, my history is not actually that great, but, and then just generally speaking, you know, there's a lot of tunes. Well, and then of course, Troy's Wedding, right? Where you have that effect. <laughs> You know, you have yeah. that tune that probably came long before Clumsy Lover, right? And that's right. a cool tune, right? 
And that's a cool tune. But for whatever reason, Clumsy Lover came, came around and then it just caught fire. Uh, mm. And then Steam Train to Maleg, right? That was the first. And maybe it wasn't the first. I'm sure people who know their history better than me maybe can call me out on this. But Steam Train to Maleg was the first bagpipe suite. Yeah. Okay, that really caught fire. Where it's, oh, wait, that's not just magic. I can do that. And that's mm-hmm. great. And then, you know, and then it's something that everybody can play and it's actually very playable. Itchy fingers, very playable. Yeah. Right. What else we got? What were our other big ones? I forget. Well, Pumpkin's Fancy, I feel like is a, is a pretty obvious example. And maybe that's another right. one where you have a, like a convention or an idea that repeated slide thing, right? Yeah. Surely it happened otherwise, but maybe that's where it really takes off. Cause I certainly can think of some other tunes as well with that one that since then also use that convention, but that's the first I was aware of that yeah. use that convention. In the way that natural selection works, these types of ideas also seem to work, right? Mm. It's very similar. So you'll have these mutations, people have these cool ideas, right? But then like at a certain point, a certain combination of these ideas takes off and dominates and has that exponential growth curve, right? And, and I think you see that with all these other things. Like, obviously, Aaron B. Minor was not the first medley reprise, but for whatever reason, mm-hmm. right? It was, it was in the right place at the right time, you know, played and, by the right and done, band. And done well, too. That's part of it, surely, as well. Yeah, right. Um, so it has to be the yeah. right number. It has to be the right combination of things, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, I hesitate a bit, too, even when trying to form the question, because I don't think to myself, oh, I wish that really great players would stop playing so amazingly because I want to be able to play everything that my heroes play. That's not it. No, I hope that innovation continues, you know, forever. I love being blown away, you know, by very talented players. And so then I also don't know, like, how much of this is just a tiny little slice of my own personal experience that maybe when I was a certain age, I thought... (laughs) I was more, (laughs) I'm now having an existential crisis live in front of you, Andrew. It's okay. (laughs) Realizing that maybe you're just realizing, you're just realizing that the previous 60 episodes, you've done the same thing. (laughs) I've done the same thing every time. Because I'm thinking, (laughs) well, when when I was a teenager, maybe I just thought I had potential (laughs) and that like, when I heard something cool, I had time and energy and talent sufficient to eventually learn it. And no, maybe it's just that now so. in midlife, I'm like, I'm going to be dead before I get good enough to play that, <laughs> you know? No, I don't think so. I think that a lot of, I think that the innovations have shifted away from tunes, right? It seems like there's mm. other things, you know, well, another huge meme, for lack of a better word, in the pipe band world was the uh, canister systems. Oh, sure. Yeah. Like moisture control was not a new idea, but then Jeff Ross comes up with this tube thing. And at least where I was now, I think from the perspective of Jeff Ross, I think it took much longer, but at least where the, from the perspective where I was, it swept the entire East coast of the United States in one year. Yeah. One year, everybody went from sheep to moisture control systems, just like that. And then, you know, so that's not a tune, but that's something where it's like, oh, all of a sudden it's easy for everybody to never have any moisture again on their drones. That sounds nice. And the synthetic yeah. drone reads are the same thing, right? And then, uh, yeah, there's lots of cool, interesting ideas. You know, maybe this is way 
too far out there, but it does occur to me too that like, and maybe it's because I'm thinking of Lincoln Hilton in particular. And I hope it's always clear that I'm a massive fan. I'm not in any way trying to say that guy's just but, too good. <laughs> I don't like but, him because he's so good. <laughs> but the the innovation of video duetting one's self, mm-hmm. right? That's another like, it's not the tune, but it definitely, whether that's fans putting together pieces during the pandemic lockdown stuff, like that was super cool. And I'm so glad that that innovation had kind of already come into our community before that happened because it made for some very cool projects but also i mean matt mcisaac has some really great stuff where he plays with he accompanies himself with guitar or doubles up with chanters or whistles or whatever you know shoot now that i'm talking about i'm just thinking yeah pretty much every piper i can think of who has any kind of online presence does that to some degree or another that that feels like a thing that's a thing that's kind of new to our community right sure well i and i think it's i think it's like time i think it's timing as well i mean Robert Matheson was doing that stuff like in the late 80s, mm. you know, multi-tracking himself and writing really cool yeah. tunes and, you know, all that kind of stuff. He was doing that in the 80s. And by the way, it was pretty big in the 80s too. But there mm-hmm. is, there does seem to be moments of takeoff and it's difficult to predict when they're going to be. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, because I feel like I don't have as good a grasp on it, but I feel like there was something in the water that was making for similar, by which I mean like, I'm thinking of like Victoria Police and their Master Blasters album and like the band Brother um, and like, uh, and uh, eh, I was going to say the Wicked Tinkers, maybe they're, they're kind of like their own other thing too, right? But I don't know, there's something about like a genre of like sort of like a dance hall rock anthem fusing with bagpipes that feels yeah. like it's all also kind of like in a time period in like, I don't know, mid 80s ish. Yeah. They're all just ideas. And, by the way, you'll notice that the ideas have to be accessible to the masses. Yeah. Right? The good ideas have to be. Well, you know what? You know, the most classic example has got to be Amazing Grace, right? Mm. The, tune like, it- the tune itself and the fact that bagpipers yeah. play it. At some point, yeah. somebody a long time ago, like before my generation, right? Somebody was like, oh, Amazing Grace is actually really playable on the pipes. And, you know, some person just sort of played it in the right place at the right time, and I think it became... Well, in the Green Hills of Tyrol is another example. Mm. That's a tune you think is a pipe tune, but it's not. I don't think. I could be wrong about this. But you think it's a pipe tune, but it's not. It was adopted, and then it became like this meme, and everybody played it all over the place. And now you don't even realize it's not... It wasn't originally a pipe tune. Yeah, I, I hesitate just a little bit. Just, I mean... Anybody can feel free to tell me that I've got some stuff wrong here. But if I remember right, Amazing Grace, you know, is based on an Appalachian tune, would have been like a fiddle tune called New Britain or Harmony Grove. And it didn't really show up on pipes. I believe it was 1974. It was at least close to the mid 70s that it was the Royal Scots Dragoon that put a take of Amazing Grace on a on an album that they put out. It ended up being a very popular album. I think yeah. it might have actually been like the first bagpipe album to go platinum or hit the top 40 or something like that. And so it's it's only since the mid-70s, and like it was that album, as far as I know, that made anybody else go, oh, that fits on bagpipes? Cool, I guess mm-hmm. I'll try it. Whereas, and and for me personally today, anytime I get a call for a funeral gig, it's assumed that... I will be playing Amazing Grace because 
that's the assumption is bagpipes have been playing Amazing Grace at funerals for generations, right? They, they used to do this in Scotland, so we got to do it here for grandma as well, you know? And yeah. I'll do anything they ask, right? But yeah, it's just like we've just, we've taken it in stride as if it's always been this way. <laughs> it's pretty recent. Yeah. And it's just kind of really, really fascinating how that works. Yeah. Yeah. I think your original question to me might have been, uh, yeah, sorry, why, I'm getting distracted. why aren't we, why aren't we seeing that anymore? And do you think that the era of these viral tunes is over? And my, so my extremely long winded discussion on this has been, uh, no, I think it still goes on all the time. It's mm. just not always in the form of like that flashy tune. I think mm. there was a, there, I think there, there was, or there may have just seemed to be to you and I, because we learned around the same time. It seemed to be an era where that was going on, but it's still going on. Mm. And then, yeah, we're just in a different position now, right? Like mm. my dad, my dad wasn't, to my knowledge, obsessed with Clumsy Lover. He was playing pipes at the time I was learning and we would go to band practice all the time. I, was a, I thought Clumsy Lover was like the coolest thing in the world. My dad thought it was like mildly entertaining. Yeah. But maybe it's a little bit just the fact that that's when we were young that plays into that perception as well. Mm. I remember doing this as a kid, you know, going up to people like Neil Dickey or something and just be like, what? Man, clumsy lover. Oh my God, dude. Oh, wow. It's just so amazing. You know, I remember going up to a guy like Neil Dickey and having those kinds of conversations. And he was like, well, you know, yeah, clumsy lover was like this thing that I did amongst many other things that I did. And uh, yeah, it's just funny that it took off. And you're like, wait, yeah. what? You don't think. <laughs> and when I joined the SFU pipe band, it was always that. It was like, oh my God. 1995 medley. Oh, and then the Alive in America album, greatest album of all time. They're like, really? Yeah. That's just a concert we did one time. And so anyway, that kind of thing, right? And then now it's young kids will come up to me and say stuff like that. You know? Yeah. Oh my God. I just, you know, I listened to this one thing you did on repeat all the time. And I was like, wow, that's so interesting. I had no idea. First of all, I had no idea people like were aware of that and liked it but then yeah it's just kind of a weird thing so i think there's probably all of that going on yeah as well i think no, it's that's, a very, thing. that's a good point as as you were describing that it occurred to me too that and this had not occurred to me before that like sometimes a lot of the stuff that we're talking about where we like are distilling defining characteristics of small pockets of time often you can't do that in that moment. It's you, you actually need some distance from that moment right. to see, to look back and go, oh, that's when this thing was happening. Oh, 100%. So the future is completely unpredictable, you know? As, as a matter of fact, having been involved in the A and B minor thing, I remember that vividly. Like, yeah. oh, this might be a huge risk and this thing's going to flop. There's a good chance this thing's going to flop and no one's going to like it, it. It was super cool though. I went, just, I, I would just point but, out that just sort of accidentally, I think it kind of went beyond that. You know, it became something where a lot of people are like, whoa, what was yes. that? And then it kind of took off. And, you know, in SFU, we did several more reprise medleys because it was super fun to do. But then other mm -hmm. bands started to do it. And now it's yeah. weird. It's almost weird if a band doesn't do it now. It's Well, yeah, especially if you get to, you know, top level bands. Yeah. And At least in some way, right? Yeah, so at least still, in some it way. It still gets my blood pumping, though. It's still pretty exciting every time I hear it. So I'm not tired of it yet. Keep it coming. And what's cool about those, it's cool about the reprise, and maybe the reason, like maybe the reason, to your point originally, maybe it's the fact that it is playable by everyone is mm. the appeal. You know, the reprise is especially great because even in a beginner band, right, 
you've got three or four hot shots so they can play the fast bit and then everyone else can play the slow bit and you can achieve a great effect. Or in the opinion of some, uh, a really cheesy effect. But right, it's still sure. fun. <laughs> but it's still fun, yeah. That is an interesting point. The convergence of coolness, but still doableness, maybe is an important yeah. ingredient. <clears throat> and then is that true across the board, not just in piping? And I think the answer is yes. Like, mm. why did why was like Lord of the Rings the greatest, especially the first one, why was that like the greatest thing anyone has ever seen in their whole life? It was the coolest. I never even heard of the Lord of the Rings before. Well, that's not really true. I'd heard of it and I just thought it was like, this silly thing. And then my buddy was like, dude, we're seeing Lord of the Rings later. You, you want to come? And I was like, I don't have anything better to do. That was basically my response. <laughs> and then at the end of the movie, I just remember that I was wiping tears away. That was the greatest the thing I've ever thing. seen in my life. But what did Peter Jackson do there? He took this really cool story and he just, it was just so, so followable. Yeah, right? Yeah. Like you just, it just, and it, he probably, I mean, every, I'm sure every film director hopes they get that, but I bet you by the time you're at that level, you're not expecting it and you just do your mm. best to make a film. And then there it is. It was so like the, maybe the right place better, at the right time. Maybe a better word than doability is accessibility. It's got, a, it's really cool and accessible. Yeah. Well, all of the, like the DNA, all the details of the DNA is like perfectly right for the environment. And I mean, take a guy like Neil Dickey. He wrote countless tunes that are way better than Clumsy Lover, mm -hmm. right? At least yeah. arguably way better. And, and I probably bet you spent Neil a lot more would time even working agree. on them too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know yeah. for sure. Someday we can have Neil on maybe. That'd be fun. Uh, but I'm, I bet you he would even agree. Oh, this tune mm -hmm. was better. This tune was better. This tune was better. But for whatever reason, Clumsy Lover fit the piping landscape perfectly at the time. To the point where Clumsy Lover is such a great tune that most people assume it's tra traditional, that it's been yeah, played for hundreds been of there. years, yeah. but it's not, not even so close. Not. <laughs> like it's not even, in a, to my knowledge, I could be wrong about any of this today, but to my knowledge, that's not even inspired by an old tune. I think he just wrote yeah. that thing. Yeah. It's funny, speaking of the Lord of the Rings, I'm sure you've heard the the lore that, that, that Tolkien just on a whim wrote the first lines of The Hobbit on a blank piece of paper while he was grading one night. And then what that turned into is so huge, right? You imagine yeah. Neil Dickey working for hours on so many other tunes and being oh, like, this totally. is a great tune, working so hard. And then Clumsy Lover, while he's sipping, while, while he's eating lunch one day, scribbles it on a napkin, throws it off in the corner, and for some reason, it just takes off. Yeah. And that's totally how it works, right? By the way, it's usually, I don't know how you met your wife, but it's usually how it happens in life, right? It's like usually the moments when you're not trying to find a girlfriend that you like, you know, that you just meet that person or something, you know, and it's the same with tunes yeah. and it's the same with creativity. It's like, usually you just have this idea and you're like, that's cool. And then you just naturally take the next step and the next step. And then, you know, Neil probably wrote out clumsy lover and he's, huh, that's kind of cool like i'll send it over to a couple people and see if they like it and then it just yeah. and then it just goes crazy right yeah ross ainsley once said something about how he feels like what he tries to do is just always have his antennas up and that if yeah. his antennas are up cool stuff will happen <laughs> yep i think cool that's probably exactly for, right for creativity yeah. yep 
And maybe the reason George R.R. R. Martin still hasn't written, what is it, A Song of Ice and Fire or whatever the next book is supposed to be, like, maybe it's because he's not doing that anymore. And he's just, mm. he's kind of lost in the soup and he's not just, you know, writing cool stuff down. Come on, George. Might That's be too to much say. of a, I'm trying to make this happen situation rather than letting it happen. Possibly. Yeah. Maybe. I also think it's way harder to end a super epic Surely. fantasy series than begin one. You know, He's got so good at killing has... people off. You'd think it'd be easy enough to just finish them all off and put the end, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, it's very funny. I think that viral phenomenon in piping is the same as elsewhere. I think it's the ideas more than it. I, I think it's the idea more than the fact mm. that it's a tune that's, that's real. Yeah. No, I hadn't thought of that. This is a very, I, and I think you're right. It makes a lot of sense. And then I also think that there, there is an age where you care a lot about these things, right? Yeah. So if there's people, if there's kids that were, uh, whatever age we were when we were playing Clumsy Lover, if there are kids now at that age, they could probably tell you all that cool stuff that we don't realize yet is going to be the next big thing. a good reminder to to not discard the youths <laughs> right yeah. they've got a oh, good for sense sure. for what's cool yeah and you know you get into your comfort zone and you think you know things yeah but you don't